Hey guys, Andy Fortuna here, and in this episode, we're talking to Dr. Brian Dorek. Uh, there are some uh, sound effects in the background, so we apologize, but nonetheless, it's a great episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Hold up. Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, with co-host Tim Langer. Morning, morning. Today's episode, we'll be talking about gut health, common problems, and the best ways to achieve optimal health. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Durek. Dr. Brian Durek completed a post-baccalaureate while at Harvard School of Public Health before earning his medical degree from the Sackler School of Medicine at Tel Aviv University. Dr. Dorek received clinical training in gastroenterology and hepatology at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital and Distinguished Center for Liver Diseases. Dr. Dorek joined gastrointestinal diagnostic centers and the Memorial Healthcare System in 2005 and has held past leadership positions in Memorial Healthcare System and his member and is a member of member of the credentialing committee. Dr. Dorek, welcome to the show, bud. Hey guys, how you doing? Andy, Tim, thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast and show. Looking forward to talking to you guys tonight about gut health, GI, liver diseases, and sharing with your listeners things that are of, I think, high value. Uh, things I deal with every day in practice clinically as a physician, and hope to Perfect. add some value to um, the listening audience. And I mean, I found Dr. Dorek on social media, believe it enough. Like, I found a gastroenterologist being active on social media, and I said, I have to uh, reach out to this guy. And thankfully, uh, we were able to get our schedules to match up to uh, bring some value to you guys. So me and Tim are super excited for this. Uh, Dr. Dory, I mean, go ahead and talk to us how you got to, I mean, I know from your bio, we have a little bit of an idea, but um, just share with the listeners kind of your history and your, I guess, more so your path to where you're at now and gut health and, and what you're sharing now. So basically, you know, I'm in clinical practice. I'm a gastroenterologist, which is a specialty of medicine where we focus on GI and liver diseases. And I've been practicing about 14 years, so after all my training. But before I started practicing, I obviously went to college. And between college and finishing my fellowship at the University of Miami, down here in Miami, it was probably about 17 years total time of education. And only recently did I start reflecting on that in terms of my involvement and engagement in social media. Um, my main platform that I'm involved with is LinkedIn, um, but I do post on Facebook and Instagram. And I basically looked back and said, you know, I have all these years of training under my belt, 17 years of training, plus now 14 years in practice. I see hundreds of patients a week and do procedures and have relationships with patients over years. And I know how hard it is sometimes to get in to see a doctor or a specialist for that matter, because I know what it's like calling to get an appointment for myself and my family when you're told, oh, no appointments for four weeks or six weeks or longer sometimes. And then going and having to wait in the waiting room and having to drop a 50 or $60 mm -hmm. copay, it, it's painful. Believe me, I'm, I'm on the other side of it sometimes. And I decided by sharing some of the things I deal with every day can really improve the quality of life of people out there. So I kind of look at it as a value add to the scrolling experience. Um, it's become kind of rewarding to break up my day. And I post a segment called Lunch with Dr. Doric on LinkedIn, usually through video. I post, like I said, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter the same, a kind of tidbits of things I deal with every day. And they're kind of routine for me, but really can improve the quality of life for the listening audience out there. And the feedback's been very rewarding and positive. Yeah, I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear that. Um, first of all, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a doctor talk about copay and waiting time. I've heard of therapists. I've heard of consumers. I've heard of patients talk about it. So to hear you talk about it, I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. And to, like I mentioned, and I start off the podcast explaining how I, I found you and why I wanted to reach out to you. And the fact that you see the importance of spreading education and spreading that awareness through social media. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, uh, social media isn't the most easiest thing, as you know, as, as you might have found, especially when creating content, when to do whatever, whatever. But uh, I think the way you have done it has been such an authentic and it seems, you know, true to you. And you still have this opportunity and this base to be able to uh, share this knowledge and, and you just mentioned through LinkedIn and through other platforms. So 
Um, yeah, and a lot of patients, including myself, right? I didn't even know. I have to look up what gastroenterology was. I think I went for one checkup, and that I, I really don't even know why I went. I don't remember. I think I was having some stomach stomach problems. Because you, yeah, right. you're not you're not fifty yet, and not being told, hey, you right. have to get a colonoscopy. So, you, but usually when you hit when you hit fifty, people are like, hey, your doctor's going to tell you what you're going to hear about. You got to go get a colonoscopy. Fifty is the magic number, which is actually. You just kind of going to jump right into it and just tell you that number's changing. Um, a few months ago, actually, late last year, the American Cancer Society really started pushing and became public in their statement that screening colonoscopies, which is kind of the bread and butter of what a gastroenterologist does, where we take a flexible camera and actually look in the colon or the large intestine, and we're looking for polyps or little growths that become cancer. And a screening colonoscopy traditionally was at age 50. We had seen over the years a drop to age 45 for African-Americans. But as I was alluding to, the American Cancer Society is now recommending age 45 for everyone for average risk. So 50 was the magic number, but 45 is becoming that number. So yes, if you're younger and you're in your 30s, you probably don't have much of a need for a GI or a gastroenterologist routinely, um, unless you have a disease or situation that warrants it. But the screening colonoscopy is typically the first introduction people have to my specialty um, what's the background that it's like that it's developed at that age typically 45 or 50 just for, for i mean yeah these i mean typically what we've known is that polyps are little growths inside the colon and a good way to look at it is that not all polyps become cancer because there's different types of polyps some are inflammatory some have precancerous potential and some don't so not all polyps become cancer, but what we know is that all cancers come from polyps. So when we do this catalonoscopy and we look inside the large intestine or the large bowel or the colon, if we see these little bumps or polyps, we remove them, we cut them out and send them to the lab or the pathologist. They look under the microscope and say, okay, this is the type of polyp it is. And then we can say, okay, you don't come back in five years or come back in 10 years or come back earlier. So... See, I guess studies have shown, and it's really an age-dependent thing. Most people are not getting polyps younger than age 50 traditionally, but now we're seeing, and it's becoming quite clear, that more and more younger people are developing colon cancer. So this has become a very strong part of awareness, and part of why I've gravitated towards social media more so to broaden the reach and broaden the message is that younger people are getting colon cancer. I'd say the number is 10% of people with colon cancer are less than 50 years old now. Um, remember Katie Couric, you know, she lost her husband to colon cancer, Jay Moynihan. Now, he had colon cancer before he was 50. I think he was in his late 40s. But when you look back at other people that have had colon cancer and you can, there's a never too young is the hashtag that's being followed. There's a growing incident. So the, I think the take-home message is really, yes, you know, should you be concerned of cancer if you're younger than 50? Less so than if you're older. But if you're having a change of bowel habits, such as nuance at constipation, if you're having anemia or loss of blood that's unidentified, if you're having rectal bleeding or see blood when you go to the bathroom, whether you tell yourself, oh, it's from hemorrhoids or not, or I know what it's from, you know, if you're having weight loss, if you have a change of stool shape or size or caliber, those are signs that, you know what, I got to speak to my doctor. Go to your primary doctor, your internist, but most likely they're going to send you to a gastroenterologist. And that's when we have that conversation and say, you know, do you need a colonoscopy? What kind of testing do we need to do? But that's the bread and butter. That's the core of what a GI doctor or gastroenterologist does is we screen for colon cancer, colorectal cancer. It's the number two most common or number three, you know, most common cancer in the United States. It's number two cancer killer. Um, it's prevalent and it's, it's preventable by doing these preventative tests. And the big thing about colon cancer is that if it's caught early, you can really survive and have, live a normal full life. But if it's caught late, it's a problem. The five-year survival goes from a significantly high double digits, you know, 80% or so, five-year living, to like less than 5% if you're in a very advanced stage. So the goal is to get it early. 
And that's why we're available to do these screening tests. Very interesting. So I, I definitely gotta, gotta go check. I'm 46 now. So, <laughs> uh, it's a time. Yeah, it's, it's a time to start thinking about it at forty six, no doubt. And yeah, by fifty, sure. the latest. I was recently at a at a doctor, and he said, me, "Yes, I mean, see you in four years when you turn fifty. But as you just um, said, I mean, it's probably better to start checking early. Maybe even take one step yeah. quickly here before we jump further into these type of details. So, what is your let's say? How did you come to this type of specialty? What's your path to, to, to specialize in, in this area yeah. rather than any other area? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I definitely want to, you know, I don't want to get too detailed about anything. I want to keep things pretty broad. And I think that um, it was important for me just to jump in on that colon cancer message sure. because I see people who skip their screening tests and there's nothing more discouraging or uncomfortable to see someone at age 55 or 56 who was recommended to get a screening test and didn't do it present to me with colon cancer that I know was preventable five or six years prior. And so that's why I'm glad we spoke about it and we could talk more about it later and we can reference my blog and my website and obviously people can reach out to me with questions. But for me, GI, when I was in training in medicine in New York City, after medical school, it, it, I gravitated to it. I wasn't as attracted to specialties such as cardiac or the heart. There's a lot of math involved, pressures and pumping and the kidneys with electrolytes and potassium and sodium. Very confusing to me and the lungs and the pressures of the lungs. And GI to me, although has a lot of those components, was very much a quality of life specialty. If you're having abdominal pain and diarrhea and bloody stools from a colitis, your Saturday night social life is really screwed up. And I felt that if I could help people improve their quality of life, you know, through the improving their abdominal pain, through their diarrhea or their abdominal gas and bloating, I can help improve people's quality of life in a very dramatic way. You're not going to maybe see someone who has heart failure and know they have heart failure. But if someone's running to the stool with urgency and having 10 bowel movements a night, it really affects their quality of life significantly. So for me, I felt I could really help impact the quality of people's lives through improving GI symptoms. Because we've all had them. We've all had diarrhea. We've all had stomach pain. We've all had vomiting. And we know how limiting those symptoms are. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not only limiting, but also nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about poop. <laughs> nobody wants to talk about, you know, and it's crazy because it's super important, right? Like, uh, like <laughs> we all, there's a, there's yeah. a book out there yeah. called everyone poops. It's a, a classic read on, you can buy it on and Amazon. I think that's, and that, I think that's the biggest reason why I was so attracted to, uh, this topic is because I know how important it is and I know how, uh, almost put off people are about it right so they tend to kind of put it aside oh yeah everybody has stomachs and i'll just drink or everybody has stomach pains and this and that i'll just drink tums and i'll just do that you know and yeah. and there's a lot of band-aids out there uh there's a lot of band-aids out there and and it's more of a i forget what the, the word is but people start to feel bad because they have these issues rather than finding trying to find a solution or trying to talk about it you know yeah. people put people, people put there a stigma on it they put a it's just like you know i have you know, exactly. IBS, you know, is a big label. I have IBS. Oh, I have colitis. I have, you know, I have, you know, GERD. I have, you know, whatever, uh, you know, colitis or gastritis, all these terms and labels. And I'm like, let's just clear the table. We're not going to label you of having IBS. Let's talk about what you have. You have crampy abdominal pain. You have constipation. You have bloating. That's mm -hmm. what you have. I'm not going to label you as having IBS now. Because then you're carrying a stigma and a label, I have IBS. Let's just deal with the symptoms and knock them off one by one and work on how to deal with them, which starts with diet, which looks at how you're eating, the food choices you're making, and how you're managing your own health, how much water you're consuming, how much exercise you're doing. You know, what's your overall, you know, approach to a balanced, healthy lifestyle? That's where the, that's the trigger to a lot of this stuff, the diet. A lot of these symptoms we deal with are not managed by medicines nearly 
nearly as effective as looking at your diet is. That's the that's the the base of it all. You know, dietary choices, water consumption, you know, lifestyle overall, exercise included in the lifestyle. And yes, there's a role for medications, but that's far from the first things I recommend to patients. In that context, how does a good diet look like? Or what are some things one should should avoid to avoid these Okay, I mean I mean, I'll preface it by telling you that myself, I'm, I grew up in a house where there was no meat, fish, or poultry back in the 1970s, long before it was the in thing to do. Um, I eat fish now. I don't eat red meat. I don't eat poultry, and that's my choice. And I grew up that way, and I have, I have a very balanced, healthy diet. And I've eaten pretty healthy most of my adult life, but no doubt, high school, my lunch was two slices of pizza and a <laughs> Coke. That was, that was it. It was like, you know, pizza or even in college, you know, how I ate and the choices I'd make were different than I'm making now. Um, so I, I'm not a vegetarian by definition because I eat fish and I, I used to eat a lot of dairy and I grew up with a lot of dairy and pastas and stuff. Now my diet has shifted somewhat more so in the last year or two. I have used coaching myself. Um, I do coaching on a personal level in my life for business and for life and managing life. I've had coaching for nutrition and dietary choices. I've had coaching for exercise and training. So I think it's okay to go to coaching and get direction in these things. The way I look at diet myself now is kind of a healthy balance. I don't believe in extremes. I don't believe in elimination diets. I don't believe in starvation. I'm not a big fan of one meal a day. I'm not of intermittent fasting. I'm not into the no carbs. Definitely not a big fan of the sustainability of a keto diet, which, yes, has a role for people with seizures, maybe on medical conditions. Yes, you will lose weight in the short term, which may feel great. But the sustainability long term for me is all about balance portion control, healthy choices, keeping it relatively simple and not about being overly obsessed about the latest trend. how many ounces of pasta you have on your plate or how many calories you have on your plate or how many you know grams of chicken are on this and what's the cooked weight. It, there's a role for all that. Don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. But once you kind of set your diet to where you want it to be and get to the place you want, And it's a function of a balanced, healthy maintenance. Uh, and I, I eat, sticking to my dietary choices, probably close to what I, what I should be eating or want to or feel I should be eating or what I'm choosing to eat. Um, uh, probably about 80% of the time. Although once, about 80%, about 80% of the time, about 80% of the time, about 80% of the time I'm eating, uh, probably strict to what I want and I go off that um, at times and that's okay like I'll tell you tonight I came home mm -hmm. I had a tough day I was a little consumed with the stresses and pressures of a family and you know I grabbed some pita chips and I started eating pita chips and that we went to my comfort food I'm not beating myself up about it I'm not telling me oh my god I went off I ate But, you know, again, if I'm eating 80% of the time what I want to eat on a weekend, if I go out, I'll have a piece of cake sometimes. or I'll have some sweets, but I'm not eating that every day. Mm -hmm. Most of my, my diet is plant-based. So I'll tell you, like, in a basic day, I'll give you what I'm eating just to give you a sense. So in the morning, I've gone through periods where I'll make a couple eggs, you know, like four eggs, two whites and two regular eggs with Ezekiel bread. Uh, some spray of olive oil and spinach in between. So I'm getting carbs from Ezekiel bread. I'm getting protein from the eggs. I'm getting a little fat from the olive oil spray. And I'm getting greens from spinach. And that's a solid breakfast. And I'll eat more greens on top of that for there. Around 10 o'clock, I'm usually having a plant-based protein drink. Like Orgain is the company that I like. But there's a lot of them. So I'll have that with... And I'll put that 500 milliliters or 500 cc like, you know, a uh, shaker. Mm-hmm. And I'll put some protein there and fill it with water. I'll drink that and I'll drink another 500 cc. So that's a liter of water right there. 
I'll sometimes have a handful of nuts at the time as a fat to kind of give me some filling sensation to lunch. So I've already you know, had breakfast. I had around a snack around 10 o'clock. Around 11, I have another liter of water. Now, I know some people don't like to drink a lot of water at one time. I don't have an issue with it. I'll drink a liter in a, in a setting, you know, just in a, within a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And I've already got two liters. I already got two liters in my body for the day. Around one o'clock, I have lunch. Now, I eat lunch at the hospital typically. And so for me, I post actually my lunches, what I eat on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on Instagram, you'll see the foods I'm eating. Usually it's a majority plant-based uh, salad-based lunch. But with that salad, I'm also having carbs. I'm not afraid of eating carbs. So I'm going to have either potatoes, a rice or couscous, rarely a pasta. Um, I'm going to have some fat. So I'm going to have some nuts on top of my salad or maybe some olives as a fat. I'm going to have a protein. Either it's going to be hard-boiled eggs or tuna salad, whatever they have there. I don't eat chicken, so they have chicken usually. And that's in my lunch, and it's a pretty big-sized salad, and it's very filling. But what I'm not doing is, and what I used to do, is say I'm eating healthy, and I'm having a salad, but what I'm doing on that salad, I'm throwing a big scoop or two of hummus. I'm putting handfuls of dried fruits, of dried nuts. I'm putting carrots and loading all these carbohydrates and all these sugars on top of the salad. So it was the feeding, it was healthy choices, but the portions were out of hand. Hmm. And that's why I'm emphasizing. So it is a simplicity in the sense that I'm not worried about measuring how much I'm eating and weighing and counting. I'm having a salad. I'm having a fist-sized portion of carbohydrate of a couscous or rice. I had sushi today. I had rice in the sushi. I had fish as a protein in the, you know, the salmon or whatever was inside. I had a salad with it. I had some walnuts. So it's, again, I'm not afraid of getting the food groups. I'm not afraid of eating carbohydrates. I'm just focusing more on the portions of it and keeping things in balance. Yeah, and I, and I um, think that, that also... Uh... It helps people not have to have this worry and this fear of, of this measuring, like you just mentioned. And, and to have someone like, in, in, first of all, the biggest excuse we hear all the time is, oh, I didn't have time. And here's a doctor that not only has a practice, but is working continuously, has family stuff that it has to deal with as well. And is making and making the conscious effort to, uh, again, make the effort to to have this balanced diet, but also live it. You know, and, and I think that's. Yeah. It's, it's commendable, and it's, and it's one of the examples, again, it's one of the things that I saw as well on social media, that it's, it, that's important to have because we've all had a doctor that says, hey, you have to do this, and there he goes around the corner eating this fat La Carreta meal that has yeah. you know, food in there, you know? Yeah, um, no, like I said, I, you know, I've had coaching, you know, and for myself over time. The most effective recent coaching was me as I went to – the gym coach where I was training at this gym in Miami, you know, Dan Martin, and he had, you know, a dietary plan that I was watching for years. It seemed to work and it worked for me, kind of reset mm-hmm. me, you know, and everyone needs that reset. Mm-hmm. Um, I repeat that cycle in the afternoon of a protein snack around three o'clock, four o'clock, where I'll have about a, a protein drink of plant-based protein with some water, about another liter of water. And usually what I'll do is on the way home from work around five o'clock, six o'clock, I'll drink another liter in the car. So right there, you're ready. I got four liters of water in during the day, you know, and that's not even, I didn't even work out yet, you know, and you know, if I exercise, I'll drink more, obviously, but yeah, that's, a- I, I got four liters in and that's a, and that's a, and that's a very helpful thing in terms of people dealing with constipation as a common complaint. Mm-hmm. People underhydrate themselves with water and that's the most effective remedy if you deal with constipation, you know, to increase your water and consumption. Yeah, very interesting and, and definitely very important. Yeah, um, yeah just to clo- might- and just, I just want to close on the diet of the day, you know, and then for dinner, ideally, I don't eat carbs, you know, at dinner, ideally. But I'll eat unlimited amount of greens with a protein and a little bit of fat. But, you know, listen... I'm not as strict as I was when I was really trying to lose weight because I did lose about say, 15 pounds last fall. But once I got to my maintenance, I'm a little bit more flexible with myself. But that's a general day of what I eat. And just follow me online. You'll see I post my meals. Yes, Tim, what was your question? 
Yeah, sure. Just wanted to, to check. You said in the beginning um, when we start talking about diet that you grew up without eating red meat. So I was just wondering, do you consider red meat as particular unhealthy in terms of being part of a good diet or is it just uh, your personal choice? So one is I grew up based on the choice of my parents who were parents in the 70s who were, you know, very kind of open-minded to the changing culture in American uh, society in terms of things, in terms of meditation and mindfulness ahead of their time. I got to tell you now, I think that the literature, the articles, the news, the internet is loaded with enough information to tell you that for one, clearly processed foods and processed meats are a no-go. Like, mm -hmm. do not eat processed meats. You know, if you're eating processed meats, you're eating cancer-causing meats. <laughs> It's pretty clear. And I know people are major fans of bacon, and people are major fans of this stuff. But just Google it. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to look at it anymore. It's pretty clear. I've actually written some things on the blog, my blog about it, which at the end I'll give you the link. Or you'll put the link somewhere in there. But it's very clear that we know certain foods, specifically bacon and processed meats, um, are cancer-causing. They increase risk of cancer, specifically colorectal cancer. Um, this was gone back, this is not too long ago, maybe within the last three to six months, CNN, everyone was running the stories. The World Health Organization in 2015 classified, said there's enough evidence that processed meats is a, quote, carcinogenic or causes cancer to humans. So, I mean, you got the World Health Organization in 2015 telling you that there's enough evidence to classify that processed meats, which is anything is processed, you know, put together or a composite is cancer causing. And red meat, they emphasize, is probably, probably carcinogenic to humans, which again causes cancer to humans. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's enough for me to read. Be honest with you. Yeah. If, if I was a if I was a mediator and I was reading that, you know, I know colon cancer is the third most common cancer, you know, in the states. Well, they're telling you what you can do to avoid it. So I think that's a reason enough to uh, stay away from it. Now, am I telling you not to eat meat and not, not eating meat is for everyone? Everyone make their own choices. What I'm saying, if you're going to eat it, eat it wisely. Choose your meats selectively. Go for lean meats. Go for organically raised or grass-fed meats. Don't go for processed meats. And eat it in balance. I wouldn't eat it more than once or twice a week. Sure. I mean, that's my own that's my own feeling about it. But again, I think that yeah. um, I think there was a hashtag Meat Free Mondays, um, which was like kind of encouraging people to push more towards chicken or fish. Right. And again, everyone makes their own decisions in life. I'm not up here you know, telling anyone or telling my patients what they're supposed to eat or not eat. I'm just going to say, look at food, look at dietary choices in terms of balance, in terms of portion control, in terms of healthy choices, in terms of keeping it simple enough and not to be overly obsessive with it. And that's coming from someone like myself who's tendency to get obsessive and perfectionist and high expectations of doing things. It's yeah. a much more balanced way to look at food in a much more kind of flowing way. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. It's sustainable, right? You don't have all these pressures, exactly. all these measures. Exactly. Constantly. You have a general aspect, obviously, of, of what you need to and what you uh, want to add into your meals, and you do so appropriately. And again, even with the meals, let's say they're not necessarily on your plan or, or you know the right meal for the day, but you know at the end of the day, Uh, the bigger percentage of what you've been eating maybe that week or that day as well has been on track. So, Correct. again, guilt-free as part of your meal. Yeah, um, I, you I don't look at it as cheating. You know, like I'll go out. I went out to dinner on the weekend. I'm not looking at it as cheating, but, you know, it's uh, more of living a balanced life. Right. You, you talked about um, water. We talked about balanced diet. And you talked about uh, now processed meat. You, you mentioned lifestyle. What are the big components of lifestyle other than the, the food aspect where you couldn't like, were you leaning more towards like stress and how you manage that uh, and, and how that, uh, uh, you know, 
yeah. makes a point to uh, gut health because again they're always talking about the mind the gut and how it's connected correct correct yeah, i have a phone call tomorrow with a neuroscientist in new york who reached out to me to talk more about the gut brain access but we know for sure that the gut is involved in many aspects of I guess the your overall health and well-being the microbiome is the word we use the catchword microbiome for the the grouping of bacteria fungi and viruses that live in your bowels and mm -hmm. we know that this microbiome is clearly a secondary function of your diet and environment right so this microbiome mm -hmm. starts when you're born it starts probably in the plus in the womb and if you're delivered vaginally or through a c-section it actually changes the bacteria you're going to be exposed to from the first minute you hit the world, you know, out when you're delivered. And a vaginal delivery increases the amount of bacterial exposure and funguses. And it, it's actually even a healthier way, they believe, because you have a much more broader stroke. Another thing, we mm -hmm. talk about microbiome, you know, we talk about a negative thing over our society is the lack of dirt, the lack of poor hygiene. So we're exposed to much less bacterias and fungi and things growing up as you know people in other countries may or we did mm -hmm. you know in the earlier civilizations and so our bodies are not as exposed and we don't develop the resistance to these things it's also some negative things in how our societies have been but the takeaway of that is really that we know the stomach and the small bowel and all this kind of grouping is called the gut bacteria and we look at that mm -hmm. in terms of gut health and this microbiome is the word. And this is not, we're not talking about a few or thousands or a hundred thousands or millions. We're talking about, not even talking about, not billions, we're talking about trillions with a T. Trillions of bacteria are in the GI system. Um, it's not a sterile system. You know, we're not looking for clean. We're not looking for a detox. We're not looking to flush. We're not looking to cleanse. You want these bacteria there. It's part of your overall health and well-being. If you don't have these bacteria living and functioning, they're not doing the job that needs to be done. They function in many, many ways. And the more diverse, the more different types of bacteria have, which goes back to what I was saying, the more sterile environment you live in, the less diverse your microbiome is, the more disease states you may see and the less healthy it is. So the more diverse you are, the healthier it is, is a good way to look at it. So we take bacteria and we're talking about microbiome. People like the word inflammation, right? Inflammation. I have inflammation, mm -hmm. this inflammation, that. So this bacteria has a role in that. Some bacteria produce inflammation. Some bacteria prevent inflammation and work against it. And so there you're in a balancing act. Good bacteria, bad bacteria. Pro-inflammation against inflammation, right? So you have mm -hmm. a, a delicate balance there. And once we, so you take antibiotics, for example, more than you need to, you're gonna kill off good bacteria, good chance, right? You're not eating a balanced, healthy diet. You're not eating foods that promote good microbiome and good gut health. You're not gonna have as much good bacteria there working to produce the functions of anti-inflammation. So all this stuff is kind of one level of it. And then you have the ability of these bacteria to get into the bloodstream. That inflammation, those markers, those chemicals produced by the bacteria can get to all the other organs of your body. So then you can start getting other disease states. So I got to say, you know, just to kind of close this, this explanation is that the gut bacteria, the health of your body is a function of the health of your gut bacteria because it all is the starting process. And if you have inflammatory markers, inflammatory chemicals getting out to your other organs, then you start talking about diabetes, asthma, allergies, heart disease, tied into anxiety even in the, in the brain, tied into depression and even the, the, you know, dementia and memory loss. So it, it's a growing list. So that's a kind of a good introduction to the word microbiome which is another word for saying gut health or gut bacteria. 
So how, as, as a regular, uh, a normal person, how do you know whether you have a good microbiome, uh, let's say, yes. Uh, is, is it something you should, I mean, without having, let's say, pain or any other things you, you notice, is there something you should test on a regular basis or is, it, is there any other signs I would know that my microbiome is not in, in the right? Yeah, the I'd right say place? definitely do not test. Because if you're buying a test on the internet, you're probably spending money where you shouldn't be. We don't think I don't think the science is there yet to test. Although there will be at times, I'm sure, a saliva test or a finger prick test, or even some type of scanning test that will be able to pick up these things. Far from it now. Um, usually, testing is not needed or warranted. But if you're having symptoms, is how you probably tell that your microbiome is off. So if you're having diarrhea, cramping, bloating, abdominal pain, nausea, then you could say maybe your microbiome's off for whatever reason. If you ever took antibiotics, and after the antibiotics you develop some type of diarrhea or your bowels change, that's because your microbiome is changing most likely. So the, your number one friend in these cases is time. Mm -hmm. Time usually reverts things, but again, eating a balanced, healthy diet rich in foods that are going to stimulate and promote a healthy microbiome. And, you know, diet's a big part of it. So I'd say when you look back at what I ate in my day today, or what I eat typically every day, you see very little dairy in my diet now. Um, I don't drink milk with my coffee. I don't drink cream with my coffee. What I use now is oat milk. You know, I used to drink almond milk. Now I drink oat milk in the morning. Another good dairy supplement is Ripple. Um, it's a plant-based protein available in the supermarkets. So, you know, there are foods that can definitely promote a microbiome. Some of those are things like mangoes or cherries or broccoli or walnuts or greens. But again, the bottom line is just choose foods that are high in nutrients, high in fiber, low in saturated fats, low in refined sugars. You know, and, you know, refined foods are like things like oil, sugar, white flour, you know, that's what it's, uh, I'm referring to. <clears throat> okay, no, that totally makes sense. Um, another question in terms of emotions and, and stress, as you we briefly mentioned that. So what's the impact of, of that on, on, on gut health? Yeah, I mean, there is a component of the gut-brain axis, as we talk of. Um, I'm not an expert in the gut-brain axis, but we know that the Emotional state, even depression, is highly affected by things such as high sugar intake. So more sugar, more prone you are to depression. We know that the emotional states overall are affected by the dietary choices, secondary to the, how the microbiome is. There's no right answer saying if you eat X amount of lettuce a day and avoid A, B, C, or D, you're going to have a good emotional state. No. But it all ties together. So where your emotional state is, is a secondary function of many aspects. But no doubt that diet, exercise, <coughs> lifestyle, and the food choices you're making have an impact on it. Yeah, I mean, we've like we mentioned, and you have thankfully mentioned through throughout this episode, is being balanced, not getting too complicated, staying balanced. Uh, making good choices. And it's very, like I said in the beginning, it's very refreshing to have not only uh, a, a physician, a doctor, but someone that is walking to walk and talking to talk while um, helping others and having this free, uh, or should I say this ease of access of, of information um, and just making it simple. I think there's already too many things, a lot of things that makes it already complicated. Fads, trends, diets, you do this, don't do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, as you keep it balanced, as you keep it simple, um, that's really the most sustainable way that, you know, that's always yeah, been the way. So, let, me, let me just segue um, into that to a few kind of catch words that people talk about. So probiotics are a big one. So probiotics, you know, it's these are introducing bacteria to the body, right? Um, you can get a lot of dietary supplements selling things and selling bacteria, good bacteria. None of this is regulated by the FDA or any government agencies, we don't know what you're getting. So sometimes, <clears throat> although you may be buying something and think you're getting a boost to your gut health, no guarantee. 
it's hard to know what you're getting. So look closely at the companies and where you're buying from. Go for big name companies, something with a company, uh, groups. I would say off the top of my head, things like Solgar. I use Life Extension um, for vitamins and supplements. But any company, I mean, I'm not endorsed by anyone. I'm just sharing what I use. Um, probiotics, and again, you can get plenty at the supermarkets or Whole Foods, for example. There's a role for them in certain medical conditions. There's not overwhelming literature saying that probiotics work for everyone. Doesn't mean don't use them. Doesn't mean don't try them. I'm just saying that there's not like a concrete mountain of evidence saying these things 100% work for everyone. There are roles for it. But I'd say focus more on a healthy, mm -hmm. balanced diet. Focus on lifestyle choices. Don't focus on pills, supplements, or fad diets. Um, if you talk about natural foods that can act like probiotics, so you have yogurts. Um, kefir is like, you know, K-E-F-I-R. You'll see that in the supermarket shelves. Sauerkraut or kimchi, or I think it's kimchi is how you pronounce it. These are all fermented foods that have a big role in producing natural probiotics or naturally good bacteria. How can uh, the listeners reach out to yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it. the best thing is, one, feel free to follow me on social media. I go by the hashtag at DR, as for doctor, Dr. Dorek, D-O-O-R-E-C-K. So that's a, at Dr. Mm -hmm. Dorek um, with a period in between. You can find me there. My website's mm -hmm. the best thing. I have a blog I put on there. It's Broward, B-R-O-W-A-R-D, Broward, G-I.com. And you'll see a blog there. So it's Broward, B-R-O-W-A-R-D-G-I.com. And I think, you know, like I said, mm -hmm. LinkedIn, I post lunch with Dr. Dorek every day. It's D-O-O-R-E-C-K. I'm not selling anything. I'm not selling supplements. I'm not, you know, I'm not endorsed by Orgain or Life Extension or any of the companies I mentioned today. I'm just sharing what works for me and what I recommend to my patients. Um, Mm -hmm. My agenda, my social media platform is really committed to two things, colon cancer screening and nutrition. I really are clear that I don't want to deviate from those platforms. That's what my sharing's about. I take mm -hmm. suggestions people want to hear about, and I d discuss them either through blogs or posts. And obviously, people direct message me all the time, things on a more personal or private matter, you know, and... uh Mm -hmm. I'll try to direct them and help them the best I can. I'm not an internet doctor. I have a clinical practice in South Florida. I see patients hands-on, with no pun intended. But um, like I said, if I could help someone along the way, it's my intention. Um, because the social media platform and using the things in terms of LinkedIn and what I'm doing there has shown me that the reach is a much broader and more impactful value an impactful way to share a message than just with my patients directly mm -hmm. who come to me through direct referral or Google searches or a provider, you know, recommendation. The ability to share mm -hmm. health, lifestyle, medical knowledge in terms of screening and important things that we need to focus on for health can really capture a much larger audience. And that's the benefit of what social media is. And awesome. And I was going to say, I was going to make sure that you'll see the links for Dr. Dorek's, uh, all his links and the websites at the bottom of the show notes here. Yeah. So you don't have to go too crazy trying to write down the, the words. Uh, it'll be at the bottom of the show notes here. Uh, so you can reach out to Dr. Dorek. And again, I recommend it because again, I haven't found the one and I've tried really? finding this. Uh, I haven't found, yeah, there's not many. The thing is, again, first of all, for just to guys, just to give the listeners context, it's it's ten o'clock at night on a Wednesday night. There's not many doctors right now uh, on a podcast sharing information. Uh, you know, it took <laughs> us a while to get to here, but again, uh, just having someone like Dr. Doric be on this podcast and have his uh, not only his personal experiences but also uh, his recommendations and some of the things that he not only uh, tells his patients but stuff that he also uh, is doing himself. So. Um, again, it's it's very powerful to have, uh, again, a perspective in that manner, um, and it's really good. So, and I know Tim is here nodding. Yeah, like, yes, it's, exactly. uh, it's, it's honestly, um, you know, it's it's a pleasure. You reached out to me. You know, I, um, I vet out 
who I'm speaking to, obviously, I'm putting my name on a program. You have a, you know, respectful and very professional social media presence yourself. And I'm happy to participate and share with your listening audience. Um, it's really, you know, it's, it's my pleasure. Like I said, I have so many years of training behind me and not to share and help someone. If it helps one person in this conversation tonight, you know, get over or they read something I wrote and helps their bloating or helps their constipation or gets them to see a doctor for the rectal bleeding they've been blowing off or makes them think twice about, you know, Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about things like heartburn and we didn't talk about FODMAP and the bloating and diets. And I I deal with hepatitis C and liver disease and fatty liver is another major conversation about diet, exercise and being overweight and causing liver inflammation, which can lead to chronic liver disease, no different than having hepatitis or cirrhosis or a scarred, blown out liver from drinking alcohol for 20 years, you can get the same thing from just being overweight and having fatty liver. And that's another crying Mm -hmm. shame when I see a patient who's 67 or 70 who's been sitting with fatty liver for 20 years because they've been overweight with diabetes and high cholesterol and not managing their body and their lifestyle. And that chronic inflammation has led to a scarred cirrhotic liver, which is no different in terms of what do we do now than someone who has hepatitis C from doing IV drugs or someone who has, you know, alcohol cirrhotic liver disease from drinking a pint of whiskey a day. You're in the same boat. You're in the same situation. Your liver's scarred. Your liver's not functioning. And you have two choices. You manage the complications or you go to transplantation. There's no magic pill at that point. And, yeah, and, and it's you putting, providing this effort, you know, having this content out there is what helps people. Cause again, some people don't know, some people don't know, or do know, don't know what to do. And they go to Google and Google yeah, tells yeah, them. Dr. Dr. Google is interesting. You know, I try to call him sometimes to, to clarify <laughs> his diagnosis. I can't get hold of his office. It's very interesting. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, to close off here, we have uh, just, uh, I don't know if you have any like books that you recommend, uh, or anything other than uh, you mentioned your blog, you mentioned your website. Is there anything, uh, anything else that you would recommend for people to kind of, if they want to have a little bit more information or some of the stuff that you talked about, uh, maybe you know, honestly, as far as books provide. about nutrition and diet and stuff, I haven't, you know, I haven't grabbed any big, okay. you know, these diet books and I've seen and glanced at a lot and I've, I read a lot. I think that. For me, if you want to start reading something, you know, go to my blog. I'll be honest with you, my blogs are like two-minute reads each. They're very short, they're very concise, and very focused, and they touch on a broad subjects. I am probably going to be at some point composing some type of a simplified kind of, there is, you know, nutrition for dummies and books like that and something. I really want to keep something broad and simple. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and I've read some okay. books more recently on different diets. Instead of picking up a book and really going 200 pages into one specific diet, just spend time reading wherever it may be on overall health and nutrition. I think that's the better focus. So before you buy a book on what blood type you have and what how you should eat or you know how to eat one meal a day, go for the big basics. Read about what's carbohydrates, what are processed meats, what are processed foods, what are sugars. What's in that energy drink you're drinking? When you buy the naked fruit juice and think you're eating a healthy green drink, look at the label and look at the 52 or 56 grams of sugar in there and understand what that actually means. Because I was doing that for a while. I was drinking naked juice thinking I was having a healthy snack. You know, 52 grams of sugar later, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, this is really not the right move. You know, so... Right. Be aware what be aware, be aware what you're putting in your body. I agree. That's, that's actually you. And good. Go keep it simple. I like that. Keep it Fine. simple. I'm a big simple guy. I like that. All right. So this next step is uh, this last part. Actually, there's two more. This okay. uh, we're gonna have what we call speed round, okay. or Tim likes to call it rapid fire. And so basically, it's just where we ask you a couple questions, just so not only sure. the listeners but us we get to know you a little bit more. They're funny, funny, quick questions. Uh, and then after that, we have uh, thanks, okay. which is basically we give three thanks. Uh, I gotta put my seatbelt cool, on. You ready? I got a speed round. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. All Are right, you... let's start. What is one of the things you things I put on my bucket list? 
Easter Island. Yeah, one of the things. Off of Chile. All right. All right, yeah. E- Easter I, Island? That's the island off of Chile. What is that? Where you have those big statues of the heads. You know, that's down, and there was, uh-huh. you know, there was a lot of, yeah, well, not a wonder of the world, but it just captivates me. I've seen many beautiful things in the world. That captures me. One day I'll get down there off of Santiago, I think. Me wow. too, yeah, for sure. I just learned something new. Yeah. Or more so. Um, what's your greatest fear? Fear of fear. Fear of fear. That's a... Uh, that's a 49-year-old man in his midlife talking to you right there. <laughs> if you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Here and now, the present. I'm, I'm learning to I like that. be more present where I am now. There's nowhere I need to go else except being at the moment. Okay. Your first thought of the day faith there's a hebrew prayer i'm starting to say called mode and me and so basically you wake up and say thanking god for having faith um the other thoughts are thoughts that tony robbins shares and stuff starting to ask myself questions good questions what am i happy about in my life now what am i grateful for about in my life now so things like that things that are improving my overall consciousness and my overall gratitude and appreciation. I like that. Tim, last one. Last, last what song? Stuck stuck in your head. Ooh. Yeah, last song. Uh, South of head. the Border with uh, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> All right. Okay. Wow. All right. Uh, this last part uh, is thanks. Here's where we give three thanks. Uh, the first one is going to go to Dr. Doric. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to two guys wanting to learn a little more information and to our listeners uh, that having the ability to, to listen to you. So we really appreciate you uh, taking the time. The second thank you goes to our listeners. Um, again, they could have been doing anything. You could have been doing anything at this moment. Right. You could have been watching Netflix. You could have been sleeping, whatever it is. Right. Taking a nap um, or listening to the radio. But you took the time to listen to this episode. uh, And I hope we hope that you got a lot out of it. The third thank you goes to our clients, to our patients, to our students, to those that we get to work with on a daily basis. We really, really can't thank you enough for giving us the not only the opportunity, but uh, seeing the value in what we have to offer, not only in our knowledge, but in our practice. and in our time. So thank you very much for that. And with that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.